Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about our favorite isekai. And I know this might be a little bit of a contentious topic since you either love or you tend to hate isekai, but I still think it's necessary to to sort of dive into the genre itself. So, officially, isekai is really a fantasy, but it's a subgenre of fantasy that has gotten so big and popular that they kind of exist outside of their original fantasy tag. Isekai, by definition, means a the story of a protagonist who goes to another world, whether it's through some means of death and reincarnation, which is a common one we tend to see, or you get sent there by accident, or you get summoned, or you walk through a portal, portal yourself. There's various ways, but the, the bare bones of it is someone went from one world to another world that they were not expecting, and now they are stuck in that world, and they cannot go back. And so that is what Isekai is. And obviously, it has both ha- created kind of a bad name as well as a good name in regards to the anime community. So I think it's great that we can spend the episode today to talk about our favorites. So Agnes, I know that, you know, Isekai is definitely not a genre that you're jumping out of your chair for. So I'm going to let you go first and talk about your two picks for your best Isekai anime. But uh, if you have any additional opinions and thoughts you want to share about the genre as a whole, please feel free to do so as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think what's really interesting about Isekai in general is that the genre is actually the subgenre, especially has been around for quite some time but it wasn't quite it didn't quite gain its popularity until around maybe like 2013 14 ish with the abundance of light novels that were being adapted into anime and coincidentally many of these light novels were isekai genres um a lot of older shows that come to mind that are isekai in the flavor of a character being transported to another world because of death or because of some other situation would be stuff like Escaflone or Drifters or like Twelve Kingdoms. So I think the the distinction between the isekais from back then is very different from the isekais that we see currently, such as like ReZero or like Sanya of Taga, Sa- Saga of Tanya the Evil or Recreators or even stuff like um, Shield Hero, for instance. So I think it's really interesting to see how this genre has been so quiet for so long is now making like a huge explosion. But within that huge explosion, you get a lot of mediocre type of isekais that kind of have the same repetitive formula you don't really feel as connected with them and a lot of them have very mundane premises which is why isekai is not my favorite genre as a whole it becomes a little bit too saturated with the same type of tropes so the one series that i want to spotlight first is a very much older show for an isekai and wasn't considered an isekai until you actually look at the source material and that would be the anime 12 kingdoms has any of you two read or like watched it? I know I mentioned Twelve Kingdoms very briefly before in a previous episode. No, yeah, I've only heard you mention it once, so I have not seen that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Gracie. Yeah, same as Isabel. Okay, okay. So Twelve Kingdoms is a fairly old show. Uh, not many people have seen it because I think it was released around the eighties and nineties, 
It is essentially about a high schooler girl. She is a shell of her former self. You know, she's very shy. She's very introverted. She lives in a household that doesn't really appreciate her and that bullies her. So very reminiscent of like Harry Potter kind of thing, right? And out of the blue, in her high school, she encounters a mysterious being that travels from an alternative dimension, a fantasy dimension, and demands that she is to become the next queen of K. A K is being one of the countries within that fantasy world, and she's chosen to be their next queen. And as a high schooler, she is quite physically ripped from her dimension where she was staying at. She was like in her high school, trying to blend in with life, and then all of a sudden she's ripped out of her normal her normal life and transported into a fantasy world where there are monsters, there are demons, there are demi-humans who are um kind of like hybrid animals that speak and normal humans and they are all out for blood they kill foreigners who are like her and they are all trying to grapple and survive and the first four episodes that she's in this horrendous world she is trapped in this world with two other people one person who she considers as her friend and the other person who is considered like her love rival to the boy that was transported in the world with them and so Twelve Kingdoms is really interesting because it doesn't have the same stipulations of a normal isekai where when you transport into another world, everything's usually fine and dandy. You know, everything's kind of colorful. Everyone's kind of nice. You know, you get a lot of magic skills up front. Our girl does not know how to use magic. She doesn't know how to wield a sword. And yet the being that ripped her from her physical world gives her a sword and says, this is what you're going to defend yourself with. And unfortunately, she has to kind of traverse through the world and understand it. She actually doesn't understand. She is the only one who understands the language of this fantasy world, while the two other people that were transported with her do not. And so it's a really fascinating story of these foreigners in an isekai world trying to understand the geopolitics, the fantasy aspects, what's important to this world, what's not important to this world, and even engaging in battle and war too. And it becomes a feels more of like an epic fantasy rather than an isekai, funnily enough. Um, I actually started watching 12 Kingdoms very late. I'm actually a very casual watcher. I didn't watch a lot of 80s, 90s animes until very recently. And I was just absolutely struck by how wonderful 12 Kingdoms weaves a lot of its themes. And it feels more compelling as an isekai than even our most well-known isekais today. So that's why I wanted to spotlight it. <laughs> No, I've heard you praise 12 Kingdoms before. I It does absolutely sound up my alley, but I think it's just one of the ones that I missed. And it's also an older anime, too. So I think that's another reason why. And with how many, uh, with just how many anime is just constantly coming out and me keeping up with all of them, it's very hard for me to go back it yeah. is yeah it is very hard and then not to mention that 12 kingdoms is a rather large series it's like 50 something episodes and the more the more major arcs do take quite a while to finish and the beginning part of 12 kingdoms is a bit of a slow burn because yoko our main protagonist is a wimp she doesn't know how to wield a sword she complains she wants to go back to real life and she's very very scared and so the first ha the first beginning part of 12 kingdoms can be a little bit of a bore to watch because all you're just seeing is a whining crying and scared girl really oh that must be why a lot of people said if you like yona of the dawn you'll like 12 kingdoms <laughs> 
Yes, it exactly oh. starts off in the same premise. And I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if Yona of the Dawn took a lot of inspiration mm-hmm. from uh, 12 Kingdoms. I told this to our anime staff chat once when I finished 12 Kingdoms is that there's a lot of parallels between Yona of the Dawn and 12 Kingdoms. Although 12 Kingdoms and Yona of the Dawn have completely separate plots, which is amazing but i can definitely see that there's a lot of inspiration from the 12 kingdoms right down to the fact that there are multiple kingdom factions the main protagonist has red hair and is kind of like the prophesized to be person you know they are the chosen one sort of it's interesting because and i hate saying this i almost feel like the isekai before it exploded into popularity and became mainstream tend to be more nuanced and more creative in the way they go about the stories versus how it tends to be nowadays. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, there are so many isekais because, you know, the publishers just kind of pick up whatever isekai is trending online in the, the, the web novels and stuff, and they decide it's a great way to turn it into an anime adaptation. But these people aren't, like, they're not real writers, you know, they didn't graduate or they didn't have like an actual passion for writing. It was just kind of like a fling. And so a lot of the story, the plot line, the themes, and it's just kind of fragmented, you know, so you don't really, uh, you don't really appreciate the isekai genre as a whole, just because a lot of these kind of copycats and not as nuanced stories just come out to play. And you're just kind of like, it's, it's almost like flash. Oh, that's a good way to put it. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, isekai is basically flash fiction. It's not good material. It's not stuff that you would read for like a literary uh, competition or something, or you read it as a classics in school. It's just something that passes by and people pick it up because the premise sounds really interesting. But overall, most people will forget about it at the end of the day. Very few of them stand out. And I will give credit to stuff like even Shield Hero for its for its notoriety. And also, like, really good shows like ReZero Forces that definitely deserves the critical acclaim for being an isekai. That completely makes sense as to why you picked this one as to one of your uh, two favorite isekai that you wanted to cover. What is another one that, you know, despite all the slog that you've had to go through, (laughs) decided that it (laughs) rises for the occasion? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I I always I already talked a lot about Saga of Tanya the Evil in earlier podcasts and also Drifters as well. Those are two prime examples of really interesting isekais with Saga of Tanya the Evil being a lot more diabolical than most isekais and Drifters being a really interesting take on historical isekais of what if you have a historical person that is transported to another world and they have to basically deal with it and like you said gracie some people going through isekais literally just step through a portal and drifters does exactly the same thing a lot Mm -hmm. of the characters had died and they basically step through a portal into a brand new world where they're supposed to reckon for their fate but those two i've talked about a lot i wanted to talk about a much more niche show that was really unfortunate that it only came out with a shortish season or maybe like a core and a half. And that is Grimgar of Fantasy and Ashes that I really wanted to talk about. Oh, okay, okay. I actually wrote a review about it um, on Anime Trending a long time ago. It was for a compare, compare and contrast between the original light novel and the anime adaptation. And I have watched the anime adaptation first before I read the light novel that was available in Bookwalker. But the one thing that I really loved about Grimgar Fantasy and Ashes is that it starts off with characters that have no memories of their past lives 
let alone their names. And they are suddenly in this random isekai world where they're forced to become mercenaries in order to protect themselves and to feed themselves. They're drafted into kind of like a um, a junior regiment of mercenary corps, and they're given weapons, they're given armor, but then they're also expected to learn how to make a living for themselves by slaying monsters and gathering rewards and counting their money. And what I really liked about it is in Grimgar Fantasy and Ashes, unlike other isekais where the protagonist comes into the new world and they have a skill set that already makes them more powerful than everybody else in the cast, everybody in Grimgar are weaklings. They are high schoolers or even maybe close to college age and they have no idea how to fight, let alone hold a weapon. And the first episode of Grimgar is the cast members, I would say there's about maybe five or six of them are trying to gang up on this poor goblin that they're trying to literally kill so that they can pay their next meal. And they're struggling with trying to lift their sword. They're struggling on how to do team coordinated tactics because they keep bumping into each other or letting arrows fly that almost hit each other. And they are an absolute mess in this world and have no idea how to grapple with this world because as most of us would surmise, these people that isekai into this world are probably modern humans who have never seen an actual like ancient weapon before or like a sword or like a spear. And they even remarked at one point throughout the series where a character will mention like, oh, it'd be nice if I had a cell phone. And everyone goes, wait, what's a cell phone again? Huh. I don't know why I remembered what a cell phone is. And so it's kind of like this really intriguing mystery of how did they get here into this isekai world and how do they have to grapple with their circumstances? I really also love the aesthetics that they have in Grimgar and Fantasy because it's both kind of gritty, but it's also really pretty in some of its more um, background shots of Grimgar. So you do feel like you're in an isekai world uh, rather than just kind of seeing it in like a plain 2D um, cel-shaded uh, animated show. Unfortunately for Grimgar of Fantasy and Ashes, it didn't get a second season or a continuation. And I don't think Bookwalker has that many of its light novels translated into English. So we're just kind of left with the first season. On your note of the aesthetics, it, it did actually win our best in sceneries and visuals. So yeah, so there's that. Our, oh, there you go. There you go. Has always had surprisingly very uh, unique tastes compared to other places. So y'all have uh, good so taste. Yeah, good, that's good. like that's just a note I wanted to have. But Isabel, I know you've watched this one, and I think you have also mentioned it in a positive light before, right? Oh yeah, I don't know which episode that I mentioned it in, but yeah, I definitely also like Grimgar a lot. Mostly, Hell also yeah. for the aesthetics, just the watercolor backgrounds mm. always stood out to me. So. I never really see that used in anime. It's very rare, so I don't know how much time the animators took to actually make make those sceneries. Um, the plot was definitely a little slower than what I was used to, but because the art was so good, I was just curious about where these characters were going to go, really. I agree, yeah. I think the pace of Grimgar picks up in the second half when they introduce mm -hmm. the new girl, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and the other thing I thought is it doesn't, start off as a traditional isekai that we know where you know they get transported and we they know that they're transported so the question i had is like is this really an isekai or is it fantasy because we never get a glimpse of what they were like in the real world yeah but that's part of the mystery is the thing which makes it so intriguing but yeah gracie did you ever get a chance yes you, you i watched did it as well, i right? remembered being 
very itchy throughout the series and by itchy I mean like I just really oh. want to know like <laughs> where did they come from why were they summoned why were their like uh, like minds erased and most importantly are they going to be able to get back home because I think with isekai they've made all the reincarnated characters so lackadaisical about going into a new world or just so excited at the idea of going into a new world that it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel heavy or tragic that they've been summoned to a new world to never go back home but in Grimgar's cases because they don't have their memories I'm like these people could have been living happy lives before they just got whisked away to another world they could have had friends they could have had family they could have had loved ones and so I I was just so that part was just eating away at me the entire time I was watching so (laughs) I think that's a good thing because it kind of pains me to say it, but I think isekais have kind of conditioned us to be a little bit apathetic about the main character returning back to their original Mm -hmm. world. True, yeah. In a way. And so with stuff like Grimgar, even like uh, a a lot of some of the other isekais where you do see a glimpse of the character's past, like Subaru's past in ReZero, for instance, you feel a lot more empathy or you feel like anxious for the characters rather than the more mundane isekais where it's just kind of like, okay, so what, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, and I mean, yeah, and that's what makes Grimgar so unique. And I mean, well, actually, that would be a good discussion to flow into what I wanted to say about the isekai genre. But yeah, essentially, Grimgar is a really great anime, and it is an excellent isekai. And I think it's funny because it didn't occur to me when I was thinking about isekai, but the second you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. And that tells you how powerful it is if you can just say the anime title's name and just know exactly, you know, what you are referring to and why you picked it for you know, your favorite isekai for the topic today. So yeah, Uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention for this particular genre or, you know, another anime or are you just ready to move on? (laughs) I'm ready to hear everybody else's opinions on isekai because I think the general consensus here at Girl Taku is like isekai is a hit or miss for us versus a lot of the anime community does like isekais even if they're super mundane. Yeah, for sure. So uh, this is actually kind of related to some points that you mentioned, Agnes, is for... uh, So first of all, the baton goes to me because of how we go in a circle the way uh, we do Girl Taku. But you mentioned how Drifters is an an isekai, even though they're going from, you know, feudal Japan to another dimension era where there's still a lot of historical figures that were like joined together regardless of time. And then you, of course, also mentioned the fact that there does the, that Isekai as a whole seems to make us apathetic towards the story and them going home because it seems like the characters never care about the fact they left their old world. And that is some observations I have made throughout the years is the reason why Isekai has gotten saturated isn't because the subgenre isn't good enough because actually there's a lot of things you can create in isekai and drifters is the perfect example you don't have to go from modern day japan to a fantasy medieval-esque air like a medieval-esque country every single time you could go from modern japan to another to another world that's more like feudal Japan instead. You can go from feudal Japan to another world that's just a complete high fantasy world. You can go from 
heck, you can go from, you know, Japan to a world that's more like Paris if you want, you know, it's just, there's all (laughs) sorts of variety you could use as to how you get transported to another world and what kind of world that is. And yet, people tend to always slot for the medieval fantasy-esque world when there's so many other options they could choose from, for goodness sakes. And so that's one thing I noticed when I was thinking about isekai as a genre. Another one that I found interesting that was a huge difference in regards to these stories is that I think the queer and the uh, female-led stories of isekai is always more creative and more interesting than the ones that are just male protagonist-led. And the reason for that is the, I mean, there's, there hasn't been a lot of anime per se, but I've also talked to someone who actually really loves the isekai subgenre, and she only reads queer and uh, uh, female-led stories. And essentially, the, all the stories she told me, like, proves that people are a lot more creative when the characters aren't just a straight cis male. But when it comes to a straight cis male, they always follow the same storyline. They were losers, and then they got reincarnated, and then they suddenly have all these powers, and they get to be the hero, the chosen one that they've always wanted to be. Versus a more common thread for female-led stories of isekai is more that the girls just want to live a happy and safe life, and that's their end goal. And that really, I feel like, is such a poignant reflection of how people live in modern society if nothing else it really reminds me of the fact that there was a survey done of you know what people fear when they go on their first dates and men's response was getting rejected and a woman and the women's number one response was getting murdered so um that's exactly what I think of is I'm like the male uh the male-led stories are always about some kind of power fantasy fulfillment and then the female-led stories is just I just want to be happy and safe and live a good life. And so so with that all being said, there are several isekai I did enjoy quite a bit. And the first one that I'm going to choose is a, a, a term that is more used as a reverse isekai, but it is still isekai officially. And that is recreators. And mm, okay, recreators is yes. good. Uh, Isabel, have you seen recreators? I haven't. I've heard about it, but no, I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, I really loved Recreators. So Recreators is a quote-unquote reverse isekai because instead of people going from modern Japan to another world, we have other world characters coming to Japan instead. And more specifically, they are characters from very popular and culturally impactful stories. And they are always, and they aren't just the protagonist. Sometimes it's the supporting character that has the biggest impact, which is accurate to real life. But sometimes it is the supporting characters that, that have more impact. Just look at Levi from Attack on Titan. They, um, so the ones that are the most um, culturally impactful characters get pulled from their world, which is stories written by humans here, and realize that essentially every, their entire lives, it was just made for entertainment for people. And that's a very, very shocking and hard thing to digest because suddenly all the struggles you went through in all the conflicts that you had to face and, you know, all the times that you might have gotten betrayed and almost died, like, that is directly because of someone else dictating what was going to happen. And understandably, you're going to be a little mad about that fact. And so Recreators is approaches that subject through the isekai genre, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was so creative that they were 
they're pulling from different types of media. One of my favorite little tidbit is they pulled in the one of the main care or one of the girls you can romance from a dating simulation. And she turned out to be one of the most powerful characters. The reason why was the uh, the creator for her could essentially give her any power that he wants her to. And the overall population of Earth would accept it for the sole reason that, you know, if you ever played a, a, you know, a, a romance simulation game, you will know that they have all these side events where they'll do these alternate universes. And it's like, oh, what if they weren't human? What if they were a demon instead? Or, you know, what if they were in this era of, of the world instead? And so when they create, when so when the author decides to, you know, oh, I'm going to make her a magical girl. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, cool. That makes sense because that's totally in line what you would do for a romance simulation. And I loved that detail. Another detail I really liked was uh, one of the characters is actually from is a, is a magical girl and it's, it's specifically from a show for children. And she has the most powers because the superheroes in these children's shows will always win because they're for children. And when she starts fighting and she just causes so much destruction and the, the other characters who come from more mature worlds, like, knew that this was going to happen. Like, she was going to destroy infrastructure and, like, potentially hurt people. She, like, they, so they're fighting with their hands tied behind their back because they're trying to, they're trying to minimize casualty versus the superhero girl, magical girl from the children's show who's just fighting without any sort of limitation when she saw the results of her actions, she was shocked. And she was like, wait, why, like, why is the building just broken down? Like, why, why are people hurt? Why aren't they just healing immediately and stuff? Because in her world, as a children's show, that's exactly what happens. The buildings randomly just build back up again. You never hear about their damages. The people, you know, there's no such thing as collateral, you know, people and casualties. The only people who get hurt are the people directly involved and her confusion on it just was just so brilliant in relation to the world that she comes from and it's that sort of attention to detail that I absolutely adored and loved from this series so yeah that is so interesting like does she also like if she gets hurt does she expect to be like healed as well or she does um, yes <laughs> yeah oh yeah I, I just like that idea of having all these you know different stories from different characters coming all together it just sounds like what could happen right and then when it actually when it actually takes place it sounds like it's something you never thought of or you just want to see what the next interaction is going to be like right exactly and i that and i really did think that was brilliant when she just screwed up like these buildings and highways and she's and she's claiming these other people that so there's two factions of characters and they were fighting against each other for complicated reasons that I won't divulge into uh, into this podcast but essentially the one the one person that she was fighting was from a much more mature anime that is made for young adults essentially so she uh, Celestia is her name so Celestia is a lot more aware of the potential impact of these fights on the general population because her story specifically takes note of that fact and so 
but it's it was just really interesting because when they were fighting, the magical girl was just like, "Why are you holding back against me? Like, do you not like do you do you look down on me? Do you think just because I'm a kid, like I'm not as powerful as you and stuff like that?" And Celestia is just like, "No, look around you, and now you'll know why I'm not fighting like all out against you." And that's when she finally noticed, like, "Huh." Buildings remain broken. Highways remain shattered. People are actually hurt. They're not magically okay and teleported somewhere else. And so uh, I, I just love that. <laughs> so I just, I, I can't stress enough how much I love recreators. I, I, I'm sad because I feel like a lot of people have forgotten about it, but it was pretty big when it first came out. And I just had a lot of joy in it. And it's also a sort of like a side joke as well, because I told Shauna about this anime. And because of that, she says like every month now she will remember that anime and just think about the fact that if my characters that I wrote in my stories ever come to like the modern world, she was like, Gracie's dead. Like her characters are going to kill her. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's fascinating about recreators is that there's such a huge idea of Mm self-awareness and exploring the idea of self-awareness versus in a lot of isekais the the usual isekais there's not a lot of self-awareness or reflection from the main character's part to really think like oh there's something wrong with this world or like oh the morals that i had in my own world don't quite match up here versus in recreators they definitely see the repercussions of their actions and they have to grapple with the fact that they are in a foreign world they have to learn different customs they have to adjust to things and that things aren't simply the way that they remember um and i think that adds a lot of dimension to their character rather than kind of having them flat as isekai characters that come into our world you know it's oh and that actually reminds me another element i really liked was they once they became aware that there are essentially quote unquote gods, you know, de- writing their worlds and telling their story, they started to notice things missing in their own world. For example, Celestia. Uh, so the author, uh, so her author eventually bonded with Celestia and they had a great relationship. And he asked her, you know, like, is there anything in your world that you feel like is missing when I'm writing it? And she paused and she says, you know, I don't really think our food tastes like anything can you add like food like descriptions into the story so then uh, we can actually taste the food and then she was like oh and also stories like we don't like everything just happens now it's like we don't really have a history we don't have a prior can you also add stories to the story and I was like oh brilliant you know so so I just uh, it was just really good and yeah, I love recreators. There's it actually covers a lot of things. It's not just about sort of the writing process and stuff like that. There's a pretty there's a pretty hard arc where we learn where the antagonist comes from and it does deal with suicide and it was really really sad and heartbreaking and really hard to watch. So, that is a bit of a trigger warning if you guys want to watch recreators, but other than that, it's just I I just think it's just a masterful uh anime on its own. So, yeah. Whew. All right. So that is my first pick. My second pick for Isekai, I kind of went the more comedy route, but I did think the comedy was just very, very well done. It's Fantasy Bishoujo. Do you guys know about it? I did not watch Fantasy Bishoujo, but I've seen like a couple of things that you've said about it, but that's about okay. it. Okay. And what about you, oh. Isabel? No, I haven't heard of it at all. So I'm curious about what that is. Okay. So 
Fantasy Bishojo is the story of a guy and his best friend, his truly best best friend, who is likely gay, uh, definitely not straight because he's never been interested in women, period, and is very and is very protective of uh, Hinata is his name, but uh, protective of Hinata. And so Jinguji is the best friend. Hinata is the other guy. And essentially, Hinata, for some reason, gets picked to be summoned to another world as the hero chosen by the goddess of love. And so she said that she'll grant him one wish. Unfortunately, she chose him while he was drunk and so he drunkenly was like man i wonder what it would be like to be like a cute girl (laughs) with like you know like cute voice and like a blonde hair and stuff like that and the goddess was like done (laughs) so she reincarnates him in a uh in a female body and on top of that because she is summoning him to be a hero and having to defeat the demon lord aka a very common sort of subplot he gets to pick what is his strongest weapon and drunk Hinata is like my best friend. Jinguji is my strongest weapon. And so Jinguji also got brought along and was essentially made to be indestructible for that reason. And so the whole setup is just hilarious because these two very much want to go home, especially Hinata, who wants to be back as a guy, does not want to be a girl at all, considering he said this very drunkenly in the first place. Uh, but there comes a string of like other hilarity because of the fact that the uh, goddess of love, she so she gets mad at them because they were so quote unquote ungrateful of her, you know, of her mercy or whichever. Obviously, she's not the best person, but uh, because she they were ungrateful towards her she puts a curse on them and uh, and said that she won't take it off until they defeat the demon lord but then she didn't say you know what the curse was specifically and so throughout the series jinguji and hirata are are starting to realize that you know they find the other person like really handsome or really pretty or like just feeling themselves really attracted and the two of them are like no wait that's the curse like you know we can't let the curse befall us but then they're like wait she never told us what the curse is so oh my god what if it isn't a curse (laughs) it's just constant sort of um hilarity going on between the two as they are just trying to find the demon lord quickly defeat the demon lord so they can just get the heck home and i just think it's so so funny this is one of the few anime series where every single episode made me laugh and i mean like on my bicycle exercising and then having to stop because i am laughing so hard because of how ridiculous it is the anime the author knows what he's doing he even pokes fun at the fact that uh, kirito is from sao is technically what popularized the isekai subgenre and so one of the supporting characters looks almost exactly like kirito like almost exactly Oh, that is true parody. That's like Gintama yeah, level parody right exactly there. Yeah, it looks exactly the same. But then he uses like the super like a uh, super European, like old European name because a lot of the isekai, you know, they are based in like European medieval countries. And then, um, and we find out that he's a teenager from uh, Japan who also got summoned by another goddess to be the hero. And so because of that, he thinks the coolest person he can be as a hero is Kirito. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. 
it's it's really funny. I suggest I suggest you guys check it out because I think I, I mean even if you don't watch the whole series, just watch the first two episodes if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it, that sounds so funny that they're trying to navigate this world and do they in in the end do they get back home? I'm just curious. Do they they haven't yet because the series is still ongoing. And I and the author, like I said, the author knows exactly what he's doing. A lot of people, actually, a lot of people in Japan praise the source material for being, uh, uh, for being very queer oriented. I mean, it's obvious in a lot of ways. First of all, Hinata is a guy stuck in a girl's body that he desperately wants to go back to being a guy. If that's not an indication of something, and then of course, there's also the fact that Hinata and Jinguji are like seeing each other in attractive ways, and part of Jinguji's like anger is the fact that Hirata got turned into a girl because he was like Hirata <laughs> is better as a guy <laughs> and so um and so it's like so it's, it, it's gotten a lot of praise from the queer community in Japan and he and the author did say that he is very honored by that but then he also added on he was like at the same time though I wrote this because I want to awaken people's fetishes so please awaken awaken everyone <laughs> <laughs> the author's just as chaotic as the story itself. Oh, and another like running gag that is actually my favorite gag in the series is because Hinata is the hero for the goddess of love, he genuinely just wherever he goes, people will just automatically fall in love with him. So think of like uh, like charisma to the nth degree sort of way and uh, wherever so in a situation where he like accidentally walks into a looting where a group of bandits is quite literally like you know tearing down the village and stealing their stuff he doesn't realize that because this is his like he's still new to the world the bandits see him and he realizes in that moment he was like oh wait something dangerous must be going on but the band just suddenly drops his weapon and grabs his hand and was like let's get married i'll give up thieving and banditry just for you we'll go overseas damn <laughs> like we'll go overseas uh, i i will make pottery and sell pottery for life and then um and then he was just like what and then another guy comes and the, and the, and the other guy was like what are you doing like we have to get back to our base and the bandit's like i'm not being a bandit anymore i'm like marrying her because you know they don't know that's he and so i was like i'm marrying her instead and the second bandit is just like who are you marrying and then his eyes go to hirata and then the second bandit just drops all his loot loot and grabs Hinata's hand it was like let's get married I will abandon banditry for you (laughs) (laughs) it's just great I love it it's so so funny in such a clever way and I I just think it's worth highlighting that is all (laughs) okay so that is my two picks for my isekai a favorite isekai I wanted to talk about today so Isabel it is now your turn what is your opinion or any observations you made about the genre itself? And what are your two favorites? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I generally don't like the isekai genre, but not that it's not I have a problem with it. It's more the fact that it's rooted in fantasy. And fantasy is just one of those that I don't really watch too much or I don't know why it's just not interesting to me sometimes even though a lot of the other shows I watch may be fantasy so it might just be that um I think it's mostly because it's they go you know transport to a different world but it's usually in a medieval type world yeah mm-hmm. and so I don't know if mm-hmm. it's because I've seen so many of them that 
if I see another one, it's not as interesting. Even one that's just pure fantasy. Um, that I tried to watch one that was adapted from a game, but I just couldn't get into it because I I just wasn't interested in seeing you know the knight and go, him going to go find his partners and things like that. A quick um, question: mm-hmm. Do you not like high fantasy as a whole? I think that might that that's probably what is it what it is that is that I don't like high fantasy itself probably okay that's interesting because in many ways grimgar and yoda of the dawn is high fantasy which shows you how good they are if they can reach someone who doesn't usually like that type of setting so yeah (laughs) yeah i guess it's a specific type i don't know i would have to look at exactly what i don't like in it and then what i actually like um it probably also has to do with the characters as well i would say if the characters are good then you know i'm pretty much sold on it um the one that's it's so like like you, Gracie, I actually really like comedy isekai, so that's what I uh, usually lean towards. Uh, the first one I watched in 2016, I really just like Konosuba, and that still stands out. Ah, uh, classic. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. <laughs> yeah, just because I think it's I think all the characters are really funny. A lot of the things that happen in Konosuba don't really make sense. And and since I and since I like Gintama, I think that's probably another reason why I like Konosuba altogether is the fact that uh, Kazuma, the main character, he's kind of your average guy. He's not someone who's overpowered like Kirito. And he's try- and he always makes jokes on himself, and he also has very useless skills to say. Um, like, I think the one of the most useless skills that annoys me in the first few episodes is the fact that he is able to steal panties uh, from girls. And I'm just like, this is the most useless skill ever. Like, why would we focus on this guy? But it's like a lot of a lot of those jokes, and then the fact that his three other party members that he gets, uh, like Darkness and Aqua, they're basically useless. Um, but but he's stuck with them, and he also needs to defeat the Demon Lord, so he just has to make it work. Um, but I think the interactions between them and the fact that they fail in a lot of their missions, and they just have to find another way out. Um, is is what interested me in watching a lot of the episodes. Uh, I don't know if either of you two have seen Konosuba, or maybe at least probably the first season. I did not watch Konosuba. I was not into a comedy isekai at the time, so I completely skipped out on it when it first started airing. But I do know a lot of people loved it, and I think the gag comedy would have been something that I was interested in. Oh, okay, yeah. Got it. What about you, Gracie? I did watch the first season. I don't know how it slipped away from me the later seasons, but I just remember the first episode where I was in a state of what? What? What's going on the whole time? And having a blast with it. So yes, Konosuba is another good example of a gag comedy isekai. I don't know. Gag comedy isekais tend to work out pretty well now that I think about it, in my opinion, at least. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's what really carries Konosuba because it kind of it it does all the it does all the tropes, but it does them in a different way or just a really bad bad and silly way where you're constantly questioning like how does this work or what's going on. Um like Megumin, one uh the witch in the series, she has amazing magic, so when she does pour out her magic, there's like amazing animation and it's going to be this ultimate explosion. And after one explosion, she's like, done. Um, Somebody needs to carry her back. And um, she's useless for the rest of the day. Yeah, (laughs) and 
I think the other thing is like Aqua, who's the all-knowing goddess's stuff, turns out to be totally useless and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's. I I think I think what you're saying about how they utilize the tropes in a unique and different way than what we're so used to seeing is what probably stands out. I don't know. Like, uh, what is it about these gag comedy is- isekai in particular that seems to win us over a little more? Is it just that they know they're being very standard and so they're just going to go all out at making fun of it? I, I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's the whole idea of people just liking shows that are very self-deprecating or make parodies of themselves. Ah. And that's why people enjoy them a lot. And especially with the isekai genre because we've been in the isekai genre for so many years now Mm -hmm. right it's been a thing for at least i don't know the past seven eight years now we've seen it all in an isekai and having konosuba poke a lot of fun at the high fantasy tropes and also the isekai tropes just makes it a lot more bearable to just sit there and watch it um as compared to a lot of other isekais where it could be potentially more boring or a bit more trite or just overall not interesting yeah, no, that, that does make more sense. Oh, and I do like the fact that you point out, uh, Isabel, that there is incredible animation when Megumin uses her explosion because for a gag comedy anime, the animation is pretty on point for that series, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely on point. Like, in the second season, it gets even more ridiculous, I feel like, when they have those animation scenes or whenever they're fighting, so... I feel like it's always a treat to see at least it's like oh this is what I'm here for the action that's going to happen in maybe like 30 seconds and be over but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Out of curiosity who is your favorite character in that show? It's definitely Megumin. She's just too silly. I can't like I can't stop laughing at her. Like I always want to see her in every scene because she's so she's so over the top with her actions and everything that I just want to keep seeing her as compared to Darkness or Aqua really. Did you ever have a chance to watch the the Konosuba movie with Megumin and her little sister? I didn't. I've been meaning to. It's on my list. Oh no! I need to watch it. I, I like. I I read a little bit about it, so I like. I know what happens basically, but I still haven't watched it. But the fact that it's a movie makes me excited for it. Really. I think it was. It got a lot of really good reception. I think I edited one of our writers' review on the Megumin movie, and overall, a lot of positive vibes. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, I, it's definitely on the list for me to watch. Uh, I'm, I'm, I just have a tendency to save them. So, but yeah, I hope, I, I hope it's as good as the reviews are saying. Hello. <laughs> Alrighty. So, if that is your first pick for your favorite isekai, what is your second pick then? Yeah, my second pick. Um, it's. I actually thought you were gonna. Uh, this from me gracie because you started talking about female-led isekai series girls who just want to live a happy and safe life and this series is the exact description of that oh okay it's called called, i've been killing slimes for 300 years and maxed out my level oh i didn't watch that one (laughs) oh okay agnes have you heard of that one or seen that one i just seen the title but i didn't actually get a chance to watch it how good was it? I thought it was really good. It's actually really wholesome. I think the true title, what it should be, is actually, you know, I've been killing slimes for 300 years and maxed out my level, and I became a mom is more accurate. 
Whoa. Oh, that's okay. interesting. Why why a mom? Yeah, why a mom? It's because uh the the character, the female character in the series, basically she dies from overworking. And this all happens like in the first maybe like thirty seconds of the first episode, just kinda explaining, Oh yeah, I worked myself too hard. Um I just thought my job was my life and I was like, damn, I relate so much to that, right? <laughs> um, and I feel like we all can. So yeah, and then she dies from overworking and she just accepts it. She's like, Okay, I died. Um and then the the god the goddess is the goddess who takes her and she's just like, Okay, what kind of life do you want, you know? And she just said, I just want to live a slow life. I just want to live a peaceful life. And so that's what her name is Azusa. That's what she does. So she she wishes for that life. So um, the goddess gives her a life. She's like, okay, I'm also going to make you a little bit younger. So you'll have like a 17-year-old body and uh, you'll live forever. You're, you have immortality as your gift. And she's like happy about it. And that's what she does. So for 300 years, she like builds her own home. She lives by herself. And she becomes a witch, uh, known throughout the town and stuff. Um, and then she kills slimes. So she kills slimes for three hundred years, and she's also like she also makes makes it a point to have like a regular life as well. So she like um, divides her day up, and then at a certain point, when she's comfortable with killing the slimes, uh, she only only kills twenty five a day. So she like limits everything. So that she's not overworking herself, right? She's living this slow life. But then when she does that, she actually maxes out her level. So she's a level 99 witch at this point, And she, she's actually an OP character. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then because she is an OP character, people start trying to... Um, they start trying to battle against her to see who's stronger, right? But at this point, she's killed so many slimes for some reason, she's just way too strong for them. Like, no one really poses a threat to her. And, and at that point, people people started, you know, asking her, can you be my master and things like that. And I also say that she's a mom because two of the slimes that she killed actually turn into slime spirits and decide to call her their mom. And so, and I wait, thought- Wait, wait, I, I have a quick like, question. Uh-huh. Go ahead. She killed <laughs> them, right? So how are they still alive? <laughs> That's the question I had to when I was watching. I don't know. Oh. She just accepts them. She's just like, okay, you guys are my daughters now, I guess. I don't really remember, you know, getting together with anyone to have daughters or the fact that I killed you guys. But yeah, you can come live in my house. <laughs> and so, that is so incredibly <laughs> random Yeah, for that to happen. Like, oh yeah, just waltz into my house, no problem. And now I'm a mom. Like, jeez. Yeah, and I didn't think she would fully accept that role. I thought she would just kind of be like, okay, they're like slime spirits just living in my house. Um, but yeah, one of the girls really loves her as a mom. One of the other girls kind of hated her and tried to kill her at first. What? But then, like, yeah, it's pretty silly. Uh, yeah, but then they eventually just become like two little sisters that are really, that really love their mom. And Azusa also takes on the role. So when she when they get into conflict with the dragons, there's like red dragons versus blue dragons, and they are threatening, kind of like, like in the middle of their fight to kill the the slime girls. Uh, she says, "I'm gonna protect my family," so she really becomes like a mother in that sense. And every time that her family's in danger, she's like not gonna take it. So, and she keeps adopting more people. Like she adopts a ghost spirit, and then she adopts like an elf too, and they call her like sister or master. So it becomes like a whole big like pe- a lot of people just living in the house that she built, 
and that she's expanding as well and she's basically has servants who are happy to serve her kind of thing so it becomes more like a family type of show i i i hate myself for thinking that but i was like it sounds like she's collecting pokemon (laughs) (laughs) honestly she is because she's meeting every type of thing every type of character you might see in a fantasy series like a demon like a demon lord or things like that and then like so each each episode i feel like is dedicated to diff- meeting a different character and then that character being welcomed into her home and her family <laughs> so what aspect of these this isekai did you like the best i guess is it the whole like adoption and collecting children thing or is it just like the overall atmosphere of the story yeah i think it's really the atmosphere of the story it's definitely a little bit more comedic um because of the interactions that they have and the reasons why they do things right it's kind of random so you're like why does this happen and it just happens or something like that and they all group together and try to figure out what's going on so and then (laughs) this is really small but it happens throughout the series which i think is really funny is that the girls themselves make the sound effects so if it's like a stomach gurgling you'll actually hear the voice actor making that sound like gurgle 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 Or like if something is thrown away into the air, they'll make it go like, oh, sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. (laughs) It's just really random. So cute. But also, yeah, very random too. But yeah, those are little things that stand out in the series for me. And I thought it was really cute. I thought it was going to be more about killing slimes and going on adventure or something. But it turned out to be something completely different than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, no, I I definitely wouldn't have pegged that kind of story with that kind of title for sure. What made you decide to pick it up, I guess? Like, it doesn't, at least for me, it doesn't sound like a title that you would be interested in, to be completely honest. (laughs) Yeah, I normally wouldn't look, you know, twice at the title, but at the fact, I think two things. One, it says 300 years. And then two, I think also the fact that um, it was a female uh, protagonist. So I was interested in what she would be doing or if she's basically an overpowered type of person. And if there was an adventure based off of that, but yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's different, but um, I'm glad I checked it out at least. I usually, yeah, I usually don't watch things that have that type of title, I would say either. Got it. Got it. Well, all right, then that sounds like it was a really cute and fun anime. It's probably still not for me. Ultimately, I think because actually the slower sort of almost slice of life uh, isekai have bored me surprisingly enough so uh i'm gonna stick with my gag comedy if nothing else but uh but yeah i'm glad that you were able to try it out and find one that you really enjoyed so Alrighty then, I think that uh, wraps up our Best of Isekai anime episode, and obviously we were still able to find ones that we really enjoyed and had fun with. Please, please, please just, you know, write more different stories. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot in uh, the world's your oyster when it comes to isekai. I genuinely believe so. There really is just so much variety you can utilize for isekai, and I feel like it's only been recently that we started to see more of an uptick in the creativity for it versus the just endless numerous power fantasy, you know, male-led protagonist anime that we've had in the prior years. So hopefully that we'll we'll get to see more sort of creative adaptations seen on screen. So yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed our talk for today and we will be back next week with another fun Girl Taku episode. So 
I hope you'll be with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.